The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Welcome to The Missing Link. My guest today is employment and disability expert, Dr. Philip Rumrell. We're going to be talking about aspects of unemployment directly related to multiple sclerosis. Dr. Rumrell is a nationally certified rehabilitation counselor and the director of research and training at the University of Kentucky Human Development Institute. For many years, he served as the director for Multiple Sclerosis Employment Assistance Service, which provided vocational services and support to people living with MS across the United States. Dr. Rumrill has authored and co-authored more than 150 professional journal articles, 40 book chapters, and six books. It is an honor to have you here, Dr. Rumrill. Thanks so much for joining us today. Glad to be with you. Thank you. I have a lot of clients who are unaware of what their employment rights are, as well as how to even share their diagnosis with their employers if they choose to do so. So I'm excited to jump into all of that. But first, I'm going to ask you a fun question to help our listeners get to know you better. So the question is, what famous person's memoir would you love to read? I think I would say Chris Christopherson. He's one of my favorite, probably my favorite songwriter and uh, singer. And I'd like to hear, I'd, I'd like to read his memoir. Very cool. I like that. Fair enough. Yes. <laughs> That's a question I don't get very often. So. Yes. The questions from this card deck that I have are quite random. And I, any one that I ask someone I've never been asked before myself. So sometimes I feel yeah. bad asking, but that's a great answer. Thank you. Okay. So diving right into it, my first question is more about the employer side of things. So what are the biggest barriers for employers when hiring someone with a disability or in any type of invisible condition? Well, I think from the point of view of the employer, one of the initial concerns, there there are two that come to mind. One is uh, safety. And, uh, and whether the person's disability might uh, make him or her more likely to be injured on the job, in which case the employer would be uh, liable for the cost of medical care, rehabilitation services, and even uh, income replacement. So that's one of the concerns I think that employers voice quite often. The other is somewhat related, having to do with the cost of workplace accommodations. So might want to hire a person who happens to have a disability, but they're not sure about, you know, how to go about accommodating the person or what those costs might be. As we get to talk to employers more, uh, in fact, though, we learn that workers with disabilities as a group 
have very similar safety and productivity records compared to non-disabled workers. So, you know, sometimes people do get hurt on the job and then we deal with their disability uh, issues going forward to help them get back to work. But if a person has a disability going into the experience, evidence indicates that they're, they're no more likely than any other worker to acquire an additional workplace accommodations. We know from many years of research that about half of all workplace accommodations used by people with MS in particular cost less than $500 to, to implement. And many of them cost nothing at all. Uh, in fact, the most common workplace accommodation used by a person with MS in the workplace is actually scheduling modifications. So it's not purchases of equipment or renovations, although sometimes that's warranted. But most often what folks with MS need is a flexibility in their schedule or in the way, uh, you know, in, in the way work is done. So those are the two concerns we hear most often from employers. But those, those concerns can be overcome when we share with them the reality of the situation. And I bet that might have even been amplified with COVID just because so many people were working from home anyway. So that flexibility started to be more available. Well, there's no question that the disability community and people with MS were uh, disproportionately affected by COVID initially. You know, they're vulnerable to a a bad outcome of COVID with an autoimmune disorder like MS. You don't want to have another immune event like COVID, you know, affecting you, that's for sure. And a lot of folks with MS were were displaced from employment, just as, you know, many, many workers were, 50 million or so, right, lost their jobs or had interruptions of employment during COVID. But what happened is the work-at-home option and the use and and proliferation of of virtual technology for people to communicate and engage with one another, that used to be an accommodation specific to people with disabilities so that they could work, you know, from home. Well, now it's no longer a disability matter. It's a general access matter. It's a workplace consideration matter for all folks. And because we learned how to do this uh, so well uh, as a society during COVID that going forward, I think there's no doubt that the use of technology to overcome mobility restrictions, the need to work at home, even people who don't need to work from home for mobility uh, reasons, are choosing to. You know, millions of workers are doing this. And as we look at returning to office and, you know, returning to the workplace in in various ways, this is going to be an option that's available to folks, not really as a disability-related accommodation, but as a way to keep good workers working. And in the current job situation where the economy is, it is reopening and there's a significant labor shortage that employers are experiencing. And so they need workers with and without disabilities arguably more than they ever have at any point, you know, that we can remember. So employers are going to have to be flexible. And it's not about disability. It's really about ways of making sure that you can access the largest pool of workers possible. And you have to be flexible in how in how you hire them and, and where they work and how the job gets done. So I think this is going to be a real benefit to the disability community going forward that we can use virtual technology for people to engage in ways that we couldn't have imagined prior to COVID. Yes. And also, as you said, too, not only is it more accessible, but it's just as effective. You're still able to get your work done and be productive. The early evidence sure looks that way. It's just going to be a choice. And so someone with MS, for example, doesn't have to request working from home as a disability-specific accommodation. That can be stigmatizing to have to 
disclose your MS and have to ask your employer for this kind of consideration. But if this option were open to all workers, then, then accommodating the disability really becomes no big deal. It's sort of the ultimate in, in what we in, in my work call universal design, right? It's not about individual accommodations. It's about uh, opening options for, for all workers. And, and that's going to make businesses work you know, more effectively, more efficiently, and cut down on turnover and make sure that employers can have access to the broadest pool of diverse and qualified workers. So it's going to be a good thing. We got to get into the post-pandemic era before we really start to feel it. I have to believe we're on our way. Yeah. You know, one thing that I hear a lot, so as a physical therapist, when I used to work in a clinic, most of my clients with MS had a very hard time getting to physical therapy because just the act of getting to PT meant getting out of bed, getting dressed, maybe even showering that day, then getting into some type of transportation, whether they drove themselves or got a ride. So by the time they got to PT, they were already fatigued. And then they also had to exercise and then get back home. So that whole act is very fatigued. And, you know, going to an employment, the going to your job is the same thing. It requires a lot of energy on either end. So one thing that you mentioned Very too much, is yes. that it's one more avenue where you can just opt for working from home without having to disclose that it's because of a disability. So at what point do you feel people should be open about their condition? Is there a good time frame or timeline, or is it just truly individual? Well, it certainly is individual. I like to start with what the law says, and that is the Americans with Disabilities Act, Title I of the ADA or, or ADA, and Title I of that law deals with employment. And what it says is that if you're a person with a disability, you only have to disclose your disability status to your employer if you have a need for an on-the-job accommodation. So until or unless you need an accommodation, you don't have to say anything about your disability at all. And I would suggest to people with MS, if their condition does not necessitate an accommodation for their job, there's usually no need to disclose. And when you disclose, you don't have to disclose your underlying diagnosis, only the fact that you're a person with a disability and you need to describe your disability in functional terms. So if you say, let's say you're a, um, a floor nurse in a, in a hospital, and you say, I have, I, have a, I have a disability, and that makes it difficult for me to, to lift patients and because I've diminished strength, and I have blurred vision from time to time, and so I have difficulty reading the computer screen to enter information about, about patient care, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about it in functional terms, and then the follow-up would be, and I need an accommodation to do X, Y, and Z function of that job. Generally speaking, when I talk with folks with MS, if your condition uh, and symptoms are not apparent to others, not, not visible, and you don't have a need for an accommodation, there's generally no good reason to disclose your MS. You can certainly do it if you wish to, but I always encourage people to start with understanding that you don't have to. And then when you do, it's a matter of choice. It's a matter of preference, uh, whatever it might be. Some people choose to disclose because they want to alleviate any concern that the employer might have right up, you know, right off at the very beginning. You mentioned you're a physical therapist. Let's say someone has a gait or mobility difficulties owing to their MS. 
I've talked with a lot of folks with MS whose employers will see them walking in an ataxic way, and they will ask them if they are perhaps intoxicated, right? Uh, right. And, uh, and excuse them for the day, or in a couple cases I talked with, the people were terminated on the spot wow. because they said, you violated our drug-free workplace policy, and they weren't intoxicated. And they said, well, no, I'm not, I'm not drunk. I have multiple sclerosis. And they're kind of like, sure, you have, you know, so some people like to head that off and be proactive. Some people like to talk with their uh, coworkers about it and let them know, because in the workplace, uh, you know, people care about each other and they, and they share information and holding that back sometimes, you know, is uncomfortable, but the law says you don't have to. And I much more often talk to people with MS who usually don't come in and say, I wish I'd have told my employer more about my MS. They usually say, I wish I had told them less. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. So, yes. and so maintain that right to, you know, it's your right to privacy and you let that out as you need it. But if you need an accommodation, they do have the right to know that you're a person with, you know, with, with a disability. And at that point you may share your diagnosis, but you don't have to, I guess that's the important uh, distinction there. I like that. I like what you said about sharing it in a functional way, because people might have this idea of what multiple sclerosis is. And it, you know, as you know, MS is so different for every person with it. They may have known someone who had a very severe form of MS and they assume everyone with MS is like that. So I like that when you're sharing, making sure you're sharing how it will affect you in a functional way so that Ideally, it's not as stigmatized. No doubt. And Dr. Gretchen, the National Multiple Sclerosis Society uh, prints a, a brochure. They print it, and also it's available on their website. If you just go, you know, nmss.org. A colleague and I have a brochure called Enhancing Productivity on Your Job, the Win-Win Approach to Reasonable Accommodations. And it's specific to folks with MS. And it lays out all of these things we're talking about here. It talks about disclosure. It talks about your protections under Title I of the Americans with Disabilities Act and suggests a collaborative and non-adversarial, non-legalistic procedure to start with for requesting accommodations from your employer. What you share, what you ask for, how you ask, how you respond to the employer, how you go about implementing accommodations, resources that can help. So I don't mean to preempt this conversation here, but I would commend to listeners' attention that brochure. They can uh, they can access it free of charge from the National MS Society, and it, it would provide some detail here that we won't have time to get into uh, during uh, during this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. I will put that information in the show notes too. So if anyone is interested, you can go there to find that. So thank you. Excellent. Do you feel like people with MS tend to leave their job prematurely or too late? What do you find in the timeline when people with MS leave their jobs? No doubt. Well, a few things we know about people with MS who who leave their jobs, and this has been very consistent over 30 years or so of of research on employment and MS. One is about 75% of people with MS who, who are unemployed report to us that they left their jobs voluntarily. They weren't fired. They made the choice themselves. Okay. And we want people we, we want people to stay in the workforce as long as they wish to. But when they disengage, 
we want them to disengage for their own reasons, right? That's, that's a healthy, good thing. We want people to have that option. And there's many, many reasons why people would stop working. Okay, so that's one. But most of the time, they leave the workforce of their own uh, uh, volition. About 80% of unemployed people with MS tell us that they feel they still have the ability to work. Even though they're not working now, they feel they could. And 75% of unemployed people with MS tell us they would like to return to work. They would like to go back into the workforce. Wow, okay. Another thing we know is that at the point of diagnosis, 82% of Americans with MS were working at the time they were diagnosed. And that figure has remained pretty durable over the past about 30 years. So the majority of folks with MS are employed at the point of diagnosis. However, 10 years after diagnosis, Mm -hmm. we know that only about half of Americans with MS are still in the workforce. Now we back this up and we look at the average age of, uh, of onset being somewhere around 30, early thirties, right? For most folks with MS, um, add 10 years to that by age 42 or 43, this qualified, capable, experienced group of workers, half of them have disengaged from the workforce. So then we look at those other statistics I mentioned. So we find people disengaging prematurely in large numbers, usually of their own choosing, usually before the illness has rendered them unable to work based on the fact that they feel they still can. And then what happens after that is they end up regretting that decision as evidenced by the fact that three quarters of unemployed Americans with MS would like to return to work. So people are checking out of the workforce soon by their own reports too soon because they look back on it and say, wow, I wish I could you know, get back into the workforce. And, and often before the illness has rendered them unable to work, you know, they're making that choice you know, and we see this happening uh, prematurely. And it's much easier from a vocational rehabilitation standpoint to help someone keep a job he or she already has than it is to help him or her restart the career all over again, you know? So we want to keep people working as long as they wish to so they don't have to engage that premature departure and then try to figure out how to reorient their careers later on. Now, if people make the choice and wish to stop working and put their energy into treating and dealing with MS and other obligations that they might have in their lives... Absolutely fine. No problem with that. We want people to make that decision, though, with all the information that can be at their disposal in consultation with healthcare providers, their families, significant others. And we want them to make that choice with as much information as possible about staying on the job if they if they wish to. We also have a bias that people are happier, they're healthier, they live longer when they work as long as they're able to. They have more income, they have greater access to health insurance, therefore to health care. And so we take the position that generally speaking, people are better off working and folks with MS are certainly no exception to that. And many of these folks who do disengage from the workforce end up wishing that they hadn't. So keeping people on the job longer early on in the disease process, if we can start talking to them about these strategies like workplace accommodations and the like, then we end up uh, keeping more people on the job longer. And that's a better thing all the way around. It's better for people's health. It's better for their family's, uh, you know, well-being. It's better for their own sense of purpose and identity. And it's better for society because society and the economy get to uh, continue to benefit from the tremendous contributions that people with MS can can make to the workforce. They're educated, they're well-trained, they're experienced workers, and we need to keep them working as long as they wish to. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. All of those points are so true. Therefore, do you have any guidance if if someone's listening to this and they feel like they do want to stay in their job, they feel like they can stay in their job, but maybe they're feeling discriminated against or their employer is for some reason making them feel like this isn't a good fit anymore. Do you have any guidance for someone who is looking to stay in their job? Looking to stay in their job, yes. I would uh, suggest contacting the state vocational rehabilitation program available in every state and U.S. territory free of charge to people with disabilities. It's the nation's largest provider of employment services to Americans with disabilities. Um, It's not means tested, so it doesn't matter what your your income is. You're eligible if, if you have a disability that has the potential to interrupt your ability to work, and MS certainly qualifies. They have counselors who can help you to navigate this process. Sometimes they can go and visit the work site and suggest accommodations and other alternatives, modifications to the job. The Job Accommodation Network at West Virginia University, you can just Google JAN, J-A-N, is an incredible online resource. And they have, uh, if you put in multiple sclerosis, it has a whole section on accommodations and supports for folks with MS in the workplace. They also have consultants who are available on a toll-free hotline, and they have consultants with specific expertise in MS, also a free service, and you can go online if you like that modality, or you can talk with a live uh, person on their toll-free hotline. So those would be two resources. I think also talking to the employer and trying to work out accommodations that will help you to maintain your productivity, presenting it to the employer from the standpoint of maintaining your status as a good worker and identifying the solutions that will help you stay employed and engaging in that dialogue in good faith with the employer is very important. Having said all of this, sometimes that relationship does break down. Sometimes it's time to disengage. And you had mentioned early in your question, you said, what if they feel they've been treated poorly in the workplace or they've been discriminated against? You certainly do have recourse there. You can contact the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, that's eeoc.gov, and you can file an allegation of workplace discrimination if you feel that your employer has treated you unfairly on the basis of your disability. There are time limits between the time of the discriminatory uh, conduct and the time that you have to make the uh, allegation. It has to be filed within 180 days of the discriminatory conduct. So if you feel you'd like to make a formal complaint about an employer, whether they've discriminated against you in the hiring process or in the provision of accommodations or in access to benefits, you can go right on the EEOC's website and initiate that process as well. But the resources I've mentioned previously are intended to help to uh, head off a formal allegation and allow you to continue working as long as, as you wish to. That's amazing. And again, all of those resources will be in the the show notes. So thank you again for sharing those. My final question to you is one, in case people aren't fully aware of what vocational rehabilitation is, can you give us some insight on what it is and who it's for and when might be a good time to seek it out? Yes. As I mentioned before, it's available in all 50 states and U.S. territories. It is a federal and state partnership. It's funded mostly by the federal government. The state has to put up a match in order to receive services to provide job training, job placement services, 
on-the-job follow-up assistance, technology uh, if needed, transportation, uh, whatever may be required to help a person with a disability achieve his or her career goal, the state vocational rehabilitation can provide. You're assigned a counselor, and the entire service delivery plan is based on your own goals and objectives. The person with the disability himself or herself is the driver of this process, and that person's interests are the force behind the plan. It's all based on that, what it is that you want to do. You can be unemployed at the time you enroll. You can be employed at that time. And like I said, you'll assigned with a counselor, and they can also provide assessment services to help identify what your interests and skills might be if, you're, if your career is just starting. If you've been working for a period of time and you're looking for a job change, they would look at how the skills you have and the work history you have would transfer to other occupations, other settings. They can uh, sometimes visit the work, work site itself and suggest accommodation strategies. They will often work in concert with the job accommodation network, uh, as I mentioned, to identify accommodations that, that might help. They have placement assistance available. If you're looking for a job or job seeking skills training, interview preparation, if it's been a while since you've been on the job market, they can help out with all of that as well. So it's a, it's a great resource and you want to apply for these services as soon as you detect that your disability or in this case uh, your MS uh, may have an effect on your employment. Not necessarily that it does at that particular time, but that it may. Because what we know about MS is it's episodic, it's unpredictable, has a myriad of you know symptoms that can accompany it. You never quite know which symptoms are going to be occurring at what time. For many people, MS you know becomes uh, progressive, so we have to attend to changes in your condition over time. And it's always good to start that contingency planning by building a resource network and by availing yourself of this option. So it's a great option and would encourage people to um, uh, visit. If you, if you Google voc vocational rehabilitation in your state, they call it different things in different states, but it's funded at the federal level by the Rehabilitation Services Administration. And uh, if you go online to the Rehabilitation Services Administration, it will have a link to each state's voc rehab or VR program. Amazing. Wow. So that is truly all-encompassing. I feel like that's everything that you'd need in order to feel supported in any type of employment. So that's amazing. A lot of great online resources as well. I would certainly recommend the National MS Society has a great repository of employment-related information uh, as well. I would recommend any of their materials. They've been vetted and they're grounded uh, in the experiences of people with MS and as well as research that's been conducted related to the employment of MS too. So it's a great organization and they would have excellent information too. Wow, that is so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing these resources and your expertise. I think it's it's something that can feel very daunting when you don't know this information. So I really appreciate you sharing it with us. Absolutely. Glad to have the opportunity to talk with you. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. 
If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you love this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.